This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. My Rebbe, Rabbi Gamliel, should be gesund, um, said that there's a guarantee when it comes to a teacher that if we take care of Hashem's children, He takes special special care of our children. So that's a very, very important guarantee because you can't really be a good teacher and have patience for others if you're struggling with your own children. So he always says to me, don't worry, Hashem is still a better mechanech than you are. So if he gives you a guarantee, it's a guarantee to take home. So um, when I was asked to speak, I guess there are a lot of different um, subjects to talk about. And there are some subjects that I'm going to talk about tonight, which doesn't mean that that's a problem that's happening in your school. Um, but it is a problem that's happening in our world and in your world. And being that children are not always in school, some of these problems have to be dealt with outside of school. So I'm going to speak pretty general. And um, everyone will have to take out of the speech what you need for your kids and, and your students and your family. So this month is the month of Elul. And the month of Elul, everyone here knows, the word Elul represents Ani Ledaidi Ledaidi Li. I am to my loved one, and my loved one is to me. That's the relationship that a person is supposed to strive to reach before Rosh Hashanah. It also stands for Ishlari Ehu, Umatanas Levyonim, Ben Adam Lechaveiro. That comes from, of course, from Purim. Ishlari Ehu, Umatanas Levyonim. Just an interesting shot on why did it say Ishlari Umatanas Levyonim? It should say Utsedaka Levyonim. You're not giving the poor person a present. In fact, when he comes to his house, he doesn't want you to give him a tie or, you know, something that's a wallet or a belt. He wants you to give them money. So why is it called umatanais levyanim? Which you say umais tzedakah levyanim. And the answer has a lot to do with what I'm speaking tonight. Because bigger than the tzedakah that you give a poor person is the talking to him and listening to his problems. And sometimes we don't have the money, that much money to give them. And any poor person will tell you that when you invite them in, Right? Even if you give them a dollar and you sit down and you give them a glass of orange juice and how are you and what's going on with your family and can I, you know, is there something I could do outside of giving you money? People like when you're, when you give them time. This is what I'm going to speak about tonight. So it doesn't mean utsidakalev yainim. Ishlari ehu is a matanais. Ishlari ehu is a matanais. A person and another person, the relationship has to be umatanalev yainim. Not just the money, but the relationship. That's what we hear in this world. That's why we're here. So if you look at the word Elul, the first, the first letter is an Aleph, right? Which stands for Ani, Ludaidi. If there's no Ani, if there's no me, there's no I, I'm not connected with myself, I don't have a relationship, healthy relationship with myself, then I am not able to have a relationship with Hashem. I'm not able to have a relationship with my husband or wife. I'm not able to have a relationship with my children because, or my parents, because in a relationship, the first word is ani. First, I have to be healthy. So specifically, Elul is ani l'daydi, l'daydi li. If I'm healthy, then I could be to Hashem. Ani l'daydi, I am to Hashem. Hashem doesn't take the first step in Elul. We take the first step in Elul. Ani l'daydi, I have to take the first step in this relationship. So the Yitzhahara is really very, very smart. You know, I deal with a lot of therapists and the therapy world and go to rehabs and psych wards and I deal with a lot of kids that are going through 
very, very hard times most of the time, not their fault, through abuse and through all kinds of, of like, like, like the Rebbitzin said. And um, it's very, very hard. It's very hard, you know, for these, for these, for these kids. It's, it's really, really hard. But the one thing that they want more than anything else is a relationship. It, they want a hakara. They want a recognition. They want to know that they exist. And every teacher and every parent, most important thing we need to do is to give our child the one thing in life you cannot live without for even a millionth of a second. I go around, I speak to students and teachers and parents. I just went with a Lakewood two nights ago. I spoke to a group of people from Panama, 90 men that came from Panama. And I asked them, I said, what's the one thing in life that you can't live without for even a millionth of a second? So once one guy raised his hand, he said, water. I'm like, you can live a few days without water. You can live a few days without food. You can live a few days without oxygen, not a few days, but a few minutes without oxygen. You can go underneath the pool and you hold your breath. So they're all looking at me. So when I did this in a girl's school, one girl got up and she wanted to impress me. So she said, you can't live without Hashem, even for a second. I'm like, there's a lot of atheists out there that are living without Hashem. So another girl raised her hand, ooh, Rabbi Wallace. I'm like, what? She goes, you can't live without love. I'm like, it's really nice on a Hallmark card. But there are a lot of people that live without love. So what's the one thing in life that a person cannot live without for even in a millionth of a second? And that is time. When you have no more time, you're not here anymore. When you have no more time, when you have no more time, oh, that's the one we want. Okay, that's for this, sorry. When you have no more time, chas v'shalom, that's it. It's over. So the one thing that a person cannot live without is time. Which means that the most precious thing that everyone in this room has more than money, more than food, more than clothing, more than anything else in the world, the most precious thing that everyone in this room has is time. And when you get up in the morning, we say moda'ani because we are back in this world and we are about to have a whole day, Mitzvah Shem, of this most precious thing called time. And there's a famous English saying, every second that we live in is called the present because it's the greatest present that a person can be given that is time. Time is life. Time is potential. So the Sahara, who's very brilliant malach, and like I was saying before, I deal with a lot of therapists, and there's one thing that, that uh, Freud and a couple of other big therapists never wrote about, and that's called the Sahara. There's a lot of different ADDs and ADHDs and a lot of reasons, but that part, Taiva, Sahara the evil inclination. He didn't get into the book. He's so smart that he didn't even get into the book. What's the Yetzirah's Kayach today? He's going to take away from us the most precious thing that we have, and that is time. So what did he do? He created the internet. He created the cell phone. He created the social networks, Facebook, Snapshot, whatever it's called. I'm not that. Right? All the different... Why do you do that? You think you think the Yetzirah wants everyone to talk to each other? No. He created a social network so that we are on it all the time and we have no time for the most important person in our life, which is us. And there's a very beautiful medrash, fascinating medrash, 
the Medrash says, if you want to understand the Gezeira on this on, on the next world, you have to look at how the Gezeira is written in this world. And the most famous Chazal that brings this down is in Megillas Esther. In Megillas Esther, so Eliyahu Nabi came to Moshe Rabbeinu, and Haman had written the Gezeira, and he came to Moshe Rabbeinu and he woke him up, so to say, and he said, Moshe Rabbeinu, please go down, go to Hashem, and dam to Hashem, your, your flock that you led is about to be wiped out, taf, noshim, anoshim, men, women, children, they're all going to be wiped out, you broke the gzera of the Egel, all the times that Hashem wanted to destroy Klai Yisrael, you have the koyach, go and dam in front of Hashem. And Moshe Rabbeinu said, tell your Navi, it depends. If the gzera is written in blood, like my Gezerah, that I won't go into Eretz Yisrael. No matter how much I'm going to dive in, you can't change a Gezerah that's written in blood. But if the Gezerah is written in Dayo, is written in ink, then through my tears, I can wash away the ink. So the Medrash says, Elio Anavi asked Moshe Rabbeinu, how do I know how it's written? How will I ever be able to figure out how it's written? I can't go into Hashem's Kisar Kavod and look at the Gezerah. How am I going to know? Says the Medrash, that Moshe, that Moshe Rabbeinu told the if you want to know how it's written, don't try to look up here in Shemayim how Hashem wrote it. However, it was written in this world, in our world, that's the way Hashem wrote it. So go down and see what Haman wrote. And if you look at Megillah's Esther, it says, when he wrote in his Gezerah, La'avdam, to destroy Klai Yisrael. When Eliyahu saw that, he started to dance, and he flew up to Shemayim, and he ran to Moshe Rabbeinu, and he said, Moshe Rabbeinu, it is written in ink. Run to Hashem and break the Gzeira and Chazal, and the, it's brought down if you want to look it up. And the Ma'am brings down the whole Medrash, and it's on the word La'avdam, and Moshe Rabbeinu ran to Hashem, and he davened, and he broke the Gzeira. How did Eliyahu know that it wasn't written in blood, that it was written in Dayo? Because he looked at the actual Gezerah, how it was written. And the word that was written to destroy us was La'avdam. And the word La'avdam spells Lamid Aleph Beis Dalid Mem. Lo Badam. The word itself that Haman wrote, he wrote La'avdam to destroy them, but at the same time it spelled Lo Badam. Not in blood. So the Gezerah that is written in this world is exactly what's written in the other world. And if you want to understand the Gezerah, look at what's written in this world. Rabbi Wolfstein, why are you telling us this? This is a great share for Purim. It's not Purim, it's we're going towards Rosh Hashanah. And the answer is as follows. The people who created the internet, for some reason, called it the net. What does all this technology have to do with a net? I have no idea. But they called it a net... And they called it a web. Website. I'm on the web. What, what, why are you calling it a web? Why are you calling it a net? So if you go home and you open up a dictionary and you look up web and you look up net, these are two things that catch, catch things that do not want to be caught. For example, fish, butterflies, flies. So the gazera of the internet, if you want to know what it's all about, look at how they wrote it. 
It's a net. It's a web. And I am very out of the box, as some of you know. And I always say, the longer you stay out of the box, the longer you're alive. Little pun. Okay, whatever. If you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. Fine. So, so I'm, I, as a kid, I always was very into insects and animal and nature. I love nature. It's the way I connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So if you study the spider, the spider is the most vicious insect that Hashem created. When the fly gets caught in the web, the spider goes to the fly, sucks out enough blood but doesn't kill it, goes away from the fly, waits 8 to 10 hours, lets the fly regurgitate and create more blood, then it goes back and it takes the blood again. And then it goes back and it takes the blood again and the fly is usually in the web for about two days until the fly can't take it anymore and he dies. He doesn't kill it right away. He tortures it. It is the most vicious insect in the world. Wow. Perfect name for the internet. You go to the internet, it hurts you, it hurts your children, what you see. You get off the internet and a few hours later, you're back. And a few hours later, you're back. And a few hours later, you're back. And all of a sudden, your neshama is not dead because neshamas don't die. But you're so far from the person who was flying freely before they were caught in the web. And it's also called the net. I have a fantastic story. It happens to be an Elo story about the net. So kids ask me, Rabbi Wallerstein, you know, I'm the one guy that's out there. I'm pretty busy. And I don't have an iPhone because I preach against the iPhone and all these other things. So how could I have an iPhone? So I have this, what we call the Nebuch phone. It's not even the kosher phone. It's the Nebuch phone. Because any phone that still flips, you know, and right, Baruch Hashem, I'm sure you all have, we all have this Nebuch phone, right? That still flips. And no matter what you do with your fingers, the picture doesn't get bigger, right? The kids call that, oh, Rabbi, get a real, get a real phone. It's not a real phone. Anyway, so... I have the network phone. But anyway, so the, 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 the story goes like this. So kids are like, you know, well, my sir, Rabbi Wallstein, you, know, you, you just don't know how to have fun. You don't, you don't understand. You know how much fun an iPhone is? You know how much fun it is to be on the Internet? I mean, come on. Okay, you're right. There's certain things you shouldn't look at. But there's games and there's social networks and I could talk to my friends and, 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 and we could send pictures and snapshot. You send a picture and then the picture disappears so your mother can't even at night when you're sleeping go through your phone. She won't see the pictures. By the way, I still don't hot white kids don't figure out that all mothers read their diaries. I don't understand that. But they still haven't picked up on this, right? I get mothers all the time like, I just read her diary. I'm like, that's not right. No Jewish mothers have a head there to read diaries. Okay, I don't know where that comes from, but fine. So, so this, this, this net, so they're happy and they're having a good time. So I said, I know one story about a net. And I tell the kids the following story. It's a Neuridika story. So there's a bunch of fish, school, school of fish, right? There's a bunch of fish underneath the ocean. And there's only like one or two old fish. And there's a bunch of these young fish. And the old fish tells the young fish, listen, this is the ocean and we need to stay deep in the water because there's something called a human being. And he's very dangerous. You see, they eat us. So if you want to be safe, stay at the bottom of the ocean. Don't go up, because if you go up, they're waiting for you. 
So, of course, the young fish, the teenagers, right? They're like, ah, old man, Wallerstein, trying to take our fun away from us. You don't know what you're talking about. And the old man's like, well, why do you think there's only two of us down here? Right? Because the rest of them didn't listen. We listen. We're still alive. Ah, a bunch of old fish. They don't know what they're talking about. So the cool kid, the cool fish, right, tells all the other fish, let's go up and see what's going on. Right? We got to get onto the internet. We got to take our DVDs. I mean, staying home and being a good Jewish kid and not being connected to all this technology, that's for the old guys. Okay? So, the whole chap, the, all, the young, all the young fish go up to the top of the ocean. But they're not stupid. They're very smart fish. So one of them says, listen, you never know. The old man might be right. So one of us going to jump out of the water. Godless. I use this all the time. One of us is going to jump out of the water, right? You always see fish jumping out of the water. Going to scan what's going on. And when I come back in the water, I'll tell you if the old man said the MS or not, or he just made it up, because he doesn't, he's prehistoric, he doesn't want anyone else to have fun, you know. All those teachers, we're just out there to make sure kids don't have fun. All parents were created that teenagers should not have fun. That's what they think. Okay? So this fish jumps out of the water, and he takes a look, his mazel, as he jumps out of the water, there's a fishing boat. And he looks into the boat as he's flying in the air, and there's like hundreds of fish in this net. And they're all jumping out of the net, jumping up, jumping up and down, mamish flipping up five feet in the air. They're all flipping, all these fish. And he falls back into the water, and he tells his friend, I knew they were lying. It's a party boat. We go around, we swim a little bit. The guys up there, the fish up there, they are jumping. They are dancing. I saw one jump five feet. And they're all like, wow, let's go to the party. So they all come to the surface. And the the people are waiting. And out comes the net and hops them all. And everyone's saying to their friend, okay, now comes the party. We're on the party boat. We're in the same net that they were. This is night and day. Uh-oh, can't breathe. And all of a sudden, remember, all these fish who this kid led into the party boat begin to realize the reason everyone was jumping is not because they're partying, not because they're having a good time, because they're dying. And people, when they're dying, look like they're having a good time because they're jumping. So I tell my students, I'm like, Sure, you look at the world and it looks like that everyone who's in technology and all the movies, this is life. Everybody's enjoying themselves. I said, it's like the fish jumping in the net. You're in the Yetzirah's net. Your neshama is dying. You're jumping and you think it's a lot of fun. And all of a sudden, and of course we all know that, it doesn't make a person happy. The kids that are busy with their movies and all their social network are depressed. Everybody's on medicine. The whole world's on Prozac, the most diagno- the most prescribed pill in the world, right? The most prescribed pill in the world is not an antibiotic. It's Prozac. So why do you need Prozac and all this therapy if you're partying? You got your internet, you got your iPhone, right? You got a boyfriend, whatever you got. So you should be very happy. Everybody's depressed because you're suffocating. Because every Jewish girl has a neshama, and that neshama needs to breathe. And now you're out of your water, you're out of your tznius, you're out of your you're out of your Torah, 
you're out of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what you're supposed to be doing. So your neshama, even though you are jumping and you're having a good time, your neshama can't breathe. If your neshama can't breathe, you get depressed because it's connected to your body. If the driver who's driving the car is not feeling well, the car is going to go off the road. And that's something that the teachers and the school and the parents have to take care of because a healthy neshama is a healthy goof. And you can't have a healthy goof without having a healthy neshama. And that's why we go through all the things that we go through with the generation that we're in. Kids are cutting, girls are cutting, girls are anorexia, girls are doing things that they shouldn't do, girls are depressed. There's never been so much therapy, you can't get to a therapist, they're all booked. There's never been so much medicine given out. I don't understand, everyone has what they want. It's a one big party out there. Why is everyone so depressed? My mother-in-law went through the Holocaust, she wasn't so depressed. My mother-in-law went through the Holocaust. She said, she, she was in my house for a Shabbaton. She was watching all these kids. She's like, I went through the Holocaust. I came out in, in a better mood than these girls. You know, and I, and I, and I made a family and I have kids. And, and they're all feeling bad about themselves. And, and they're all depressed. What's going on over here? And the answer is, giving, giving a child everything doesn't make them happy. But there is one thing that will make them happy. And that's the hardest thing to give anybody, whether you're a teacher or a parent or a husband or a wife. And that's the most precious thing that everyone in this room has. And it's really why I'm here tonight. And that's time. So the Satan created this internet and all this stuff to steal away the one thing you can't live without. So you got net, you got web, not done. So he created a new world, Steve Jobs, called Apple. And um, not that many people in this room have Apple iPhones, but all the guys that from, from Panama did. So I told everyone, take out your phone and look at the back. There's an apple with a piece bitten out of it. Why? What kind of symbol is that for technology? It should be a whole apple. What's the deal? Because in the Goyesha Bible, in the Goyesha world, the tree, the Eitz Hadas, was an apple tree. And the first Avera in the world was when Chava ate from that apple. The symbol of all apple is an apple that was bitten into. Why would you call a company apple? Why would that be the symbol? Because Baruch Hu says, watch and read what's on this world, and it will tell you what's on the other world. Now here comes the kicker. You can say, well, Austin, ah, you made that up. The web is very cute. The net is very interesting. But this, I can't. you cannot say I made up. So you have a keyboard with your computer, Right? Everybody has a keyboard on their computer. And there's a button called Enter. Whenever you want to put information in, you push the button called Enter. But there is no button on your computer that says Exit. It says Escape. <laughs> the opposite of Enter is Exit. Why whoever created this keyboard wrote Escape? You never thought about that, right? You see, you got to be out of the box a little. And the answer is because whoever created the keyboard understood that once you push enter, you cannot exit. The only way to get out is to escape. Look up in the dictionary the word escape. It's when somebody leaves a place that he's captured or he's in jail and he has to escape. Now, I didn't make that up. I didn't create the keyboard. 
but it says escape. So this technology, yes, there are bottom that speak about pornography and movies. That's not my subject matter. That's Taiva, Yitzhahara, Shmir Zainayim. But the core is to destroy human being relationships. So the Satan has come out with cell phones and all these things to make sure that we do not spend time with each other or our children. And that is the most important thing in any relationship. I do a lot of Shalom bias, a lot of my, I'm teaching 37 years, a lot of my Talmidim are married for a long time. I do a lot of Shalom bias. And I'm a smart guy, so I always let the wife talk first. So people come to my house to speak to me, and of course, nobody ever knocked on the door and said, Hi, Rabbi Wallstein, we're here to tell you how much we love each other. No, hasn't happened in 37 years. So they're, they're coming in, and they're, 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 their marriage is in trouble, whether they're married three months, three years, 30 years, 12 years. I've seen it all. But I have to tell you, every single case is pretty much the same. And I always ask the, the wife first. I'm like, okay, listen, ladies first. That's what my mother told me. So what's going on? You're married 12 years. You got a couple of kids. What's going on? And every woman, guys, every woman says the same thing. Rabbi Wallerstein. You see my husband? I'm like, yeah. He does not love me. Every woman says the same thing. Who's coming to me because they're having by his bone. And every guy says the same answer. What? What is she talking about? You see? That's the problem. That's the whole problem. She doesn't appreciate me. She doesn't realize that I love her. And the girl says, Yeah? How do you love me? And every guy says the same thing. I don't know why. What do you mean, how do I love you? I pay the mortgage. (laughs) I don't know why they, they say that, but that's what they say. And not only that, did I ever look at one of your credit card bills? I mean, I don't love you. And every woman says the same thing. You think I need you to pay the mortgage? And you think I married you to buy me clothing? When I was home, my father paid the mortgage and he bought me clothing. Maybe more even than you're buying me. And the guy's like, so so why'd you marry me? Because I'm cute. She goes, not really. Because I really wanted to spend time with you. And I'm standing there and I'm watching this and it's ripping my heart out. And I'm like, wow, this is great. She's communicating. It's simple. She's telling you what she wants. She wants to spend time with you. So I'm like, this is a no-brainer. Listen to me, guys. The two of you need to go on vacation for three days. Leave your phones in my house. Go away for three days, right? And spend time together. That's all she wants. This is simple. We don't need to get no therapist involved. It's cheap. Go fly somewhere and spend time together. Three days. You know what the guys say to me? Uh, Wallstein, does it have to be like three days Ritzufim? Like three in a row? Or can I like separate it like one in September and one in January and maybe one in June? I'm like, hello? You don't get it. That's the MS. That's what every woman wants. And, and, and that's what really, I don't think women understand this all the time, but men also want it. We, we, even though we look like that we have all this self-esteem, 
I can tell you that when I speak, and my wife's at that shear, I really don't care what anyone else thinks of that shear. If I go to the back and she's the type of woman that will tell me if it was miserable, if it was good, if the whole place was sleeping or not, and if I go back and she's like, wow, that was amazing, I don't need anything else. Every husband, even though I don't think people understand that, every husband needs to hear a good word once in a while. And every wife just needs your attention, needs your time. I'll tell you, cute, it's not so cute, but a cute story that happened. One of my Talmudim a few months ago, so he just got married. And then one day he calls me up, he says, Rebbe, i got to come to the shir, I must talk to you, I want to get a divorce. You want to get a divorce? You just got married. He says, no, I can't live with her. I'm like, okay, I'll talk to you after the shir. Comes to me after the shir. He says, you're not going to believe what happened. I'm like, what happened? I'm thinking, who knows what? She sends me to the store, and she tells me, she sends me to buy three cans of string beans, she wants to make a string bean salad. So I'm a good guy, and I go to the store, Rebbe, you're not going to believe it. I come home, and I put down the bag, and she opens the bag, and it's three cans of asparagus. And she goes crazy. What? Asparagus? Oh, if it was your friend's string beans, you would get string beans. But for me, what were you on the phone? Who are you talking to? And she lets this guy have it. Whoa. And he's like, Rebbe, I'm not putting up with that. I made a mistake. It's just a little mistake. Oh my goodness. And I told her. Okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll run back, I'll return the asparagus, and I'll get string beans. I'll be back in mommy's five minutes. She's like, I don't want string beans anymore. And he doesn't cop. You asked me to get string beans. I made a mistake. I'll go back to the store. I'll get you string beans. All of a sudden now, she doesn't want them anymore. He has no idea what's going on. He's thinking the rest of my life is going to be like this. I don't want it. So I explained to him. I said, it has nothing to do with the string beans. It has nothing to do with the asparagus. When she asked you to do something, she wanted you to focus on her. And by going to a store, and instead of getting string beans, coming home with asparagus, means that you didn't hear what she said, you didn't care what she said, and you didn't deliver. It has nothing to do with the string beans, and that's why once you didn't bring them home, she doesn't want the string beans at all. I said, she just wanted you to focus on her. You didn't focus on her. And happens to be, poor kid, he said, no, but you don't understand, Rebbe, my mother told me that the cans in the front, they always put the cans in the front that are expiring. So I thought I'd be a good guy. So I put my hands in the back. I didn't realize that they put asparagus behind the string beans. So the Bible said, his machshava was really letaiva. So I called her down. And I said to her, listen, you guys just got married. You gotta ask him. Don't take for granted that he was on the phone, and don't take for granted that he doesn't care about you. You should have asked him, hello, hello, you graduated, you're an MD, you're a brain surgeon, how could you make a mistake, asparagus and string beans? And he would have told you, Shayful, I went to the back because I wanted to get the fresh stuff and not the bad stuff, and the two of you would have had a good night and this whole thing wouldn't have happened. So on one side, you have to focus on what she says, and on the other side, she has to communicate and ask. And as teachers in school, we also have to communicate and ask because sometimes what you see is not the truth. And know your dicker story. I want you to know, I tell a lot of stories. You know that, right? Everyone here knows that. But you don't know where it started. Do you know where my story started? My story started, it's all Hashem's fault. I'm blaming Hashem for this. I was in first grade. I'll just tell you this real fast because there's some teachers in the room. So I was in first grade. I was a little kid. I was... A, 
I was actually in kindergarten and pre-1A, I used to draw outside the lines. In, in those days, it wasn't like my pre-1A grandson came home, he said, hey, Zaydi, you want to hear a black Gemara? I mean, like today, they're teaching with pre-1A. These kids know Gemara about that. But in our day, all you did was color. You had that crayon box with the little sharpener, right, with the 48 colors. Remember that? You didn't have some computer where you did it, you know, you just moved the mouse. We had to actually crayon. And uh, so when you were, you were in kindergarten, you did the chauffeur, and then when you got to pre-1A, oh, it was very involved. You could do the whole manure, right? It was like, wow. So, so for some reason, I never colored in the lines. Not I colored in the lines and out of the lines. I only colored out of the lines. Seriously. So they thought I was dyslexic. But 50 years ago, 53 years ago, they didn't even know how to spell dyslexic. So there was no, no one to take care of me. So they sort of put me in the corner of the room so that the disease that I had, called coloring outside the lines, should not spread. Now there are new schools looking for kids who are very graphic, and they specifically look to see the kids, only the kids who color outside the line. That's what they take. Okay, that's my new school. We'll talk about it. Kids who color outside the line. Okay, we didn't start yet, but admit Hashem. So I come to first grade, and I'm this little teeny guy. I was always very short. and had this best friend. His name was Yankala Kaufman. And all the men here know, you know, if you're, not, if you're, if you're my name was Wallerstein, which is terrible when you go to yeshiva, if you're in a boy yeshiva, because they make siyumim all the time on the parsha, and by the time the Rebbe gets to W, it's like, oh, no more cups, oh, no more corn chips, oh, no more potato chips, oh, we only bought 20 ice creams, and W is 22. Z's, they shouldn't come to school altogether. Zichamins, Zimmermins, forget about it. So I was Wallerstein, so I, I lost out, and I was talking skinny for a long time, and I never got anything. But I had this friend, Yankla Kaufman. So there's a good thing about being, and everything in the world, I just told this to someone. Since the, since the Eitz Hadas, everything in the world is good and bad. Rain is good, rain is bad. Sun is good, sun is bad. Everything is good, everything is good and bad. W is also good. Because when the kids make excuses why they didn't do their homework, I can watch which one she likes, which one she doesn't. By the time they get to W, so everything has a good and bad. So Kaufman, my best friend, Yankala, we both got thrown out in third grade, got expelled for running away from school. Different story. Okay? That was a good kid. Anyway, so... This, we had this first grade teacher. I hope there's no first grade teachers in the room. We had this first grade teacher, and she was really mean. Again, it could be because I was a kid, but she didn't, she didn't come to school in my car. She came to school by broom, okay? And she popped that broom in our room. So you figure out if she was nice or not. So we're sitting in class, and she, she they gave us homework. Now, this I'm talking, I was a first grader. Was I like seven? So it's 50 years ago, and I have this clear memory. She gave us homework, and in the homework, you have to take a piece of paper, fold it in three, Five spelling words on each column. Remember that? Where was my age? Now they have spell check. They don't got to do nothing. They don't do nothing. But, and that was our homework. And I thought it was very mean that a teacher in first grade should give you homework, right? Five weeks into school, I get this homework. We come to school. She didn't even call us by our first names. Okay? She called us Mr. Mr. Schwartz. Mr. Wallstein. Nice, no? Nice, kind of good communication. So anyway, the kids come up. Each kid's goody-goody. They have their homework. Comes to Yankala Kaufman. And she says, do you have your homework? Mr. Kaufman, and he walks up, and she says, where's your homework? He's like, I did it. I remember these little curls, little curly hair. I did it. She goes, Mr. Kaufman, if you did your homework, produce it. We don't know what she's talking about. We're first graders. Produce it. 
I'd like to see your homework. He goes, I, I promise I did it. I left it on my table, and my cat, he ate my homework. I remember she was like scowling at him, and she's like, Mr. Kaufman, that's ridiculous. And everyone started clapping. We thought ridiculous is great. We didn't know what that word meant. And she said, there's no reason to be clapping in my class. That is ridiculous. I'm teaching for 22 years, and I've heard that excuse many times. It's nonsense. Tomorrow... I want both sides of that paper done. I want it signed by both your parents. And he walks away, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. I don't have my homework. And that was my story. And it's not fine. Okay. I'm looking around the room. I need a story. So this is a true story. Hashem, I love you. I, I love. I say thank you to Hashem for this story. Prophet Hashem, I wrote a book, right? This book just came out. It has a lot of stories. This would never have happened if not for what happened in first grade. Listen to what happens. I come up to the front. She says, Mr. Wallerstein, do you have your homework? I'm like, I did it. Do you have your homework? But I did it. So where is it? I'm like, you see, I have a hamster. Now, I did not have a hamster. My father would never wear kahanim. He would never let a sheretz into the house. No way. But there was a hamster in the room, you know, the one that was spun around like a mishugano all the time. It's a gilgul of a kicker, whatever. I'm not going to tell you the gilgul of a hamster, but, right? So I saw the hamster, so I, right? So I had it. I have a hamster. And, and my homework, it came out totally what I didn't want to say, but I was panicking. My homework, it ate my hamster. I promise it's a true story. She said, Mr. Wallerstein, you mean your hamster ate your homework? Now you have to know me. Anyone who knows me, I'm like, I'm not backing down. So I'm like, no, my homework ate my hamster. And she says, it was the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. I said, really? I could prove it. She said, you could prove that your homework ate your hamster? And I'm like, that's right. I don't want to say her name because it's Lush and Hara, right? But I remember her name. I said, that's right, Mrs. I have a note from my father. So this poor woman's thinking, this kid is dysfunctional. His father must be totally dysfunctional. She says, can I see the note? I was like, sure. I had a note. So I pull out the note. And she opens the note. And she says, please excuse, that was before I became Jewish. Stephen Wallerstein, that was my name. I'm Jewish all the time, I'm kidding. Please excuse Stevie Wallerstein for being late to school today. She says, this doesn't say anything about a hamster. This is a late note. All right. That's right. Do you know why I was late? Because we have to make a levayo. I promise that's what I said. Neyudik! First grader! Is that creative? That's creative, right? She looked at me. She was our teacher for six weeks. She looks at me the first time. We had a whole machlik as a first grader. She had teeth. So I got some machlik. Did she leave it in the cup? Did she not leave it in her cup? We weren't sure. She never showed her teeth. The first time she ever smiled. Because I was like being totally ridiculous, and it was, she thought it was like. So she said, "Listen to what she said." She said, "You know, you have a very in- interesting imagination." She said, "I don't want to squelch it or something." I didn't understand the word that she said. So therefore, Mr. Wallerstein, I'm going to excuse you from your homework. Yes. And then she said something, which was an avua. She said. With your imagination, one day, you're probably going to write a book. Like I wrote a book. So, 
Why am I telling? Why am I telling you? Why am I telling you this story? Because that was what she taught me in life. Is that a good story? Gets you off your homework. So I started telling a lot of different stories since then. So sometimes with kids in the most serious situations, you just have to laugh and let their imagination go. Sometimes don't squash who they are, even if it's a little bit, a little bit outside the box. It wasn't chasr shalom and mecht. I wasn't doing anything to anyone. By the way, I walked by Kaufman. I remember I asked him, he lives in Israel, and I gave him such a kick. And I said, Silly, silly, you're so silly. I used stupid, I didn't say silly, but you were so stupid, I said. You should have said hamster, not a cat. <laughs> like, I thought that was why, you know, I got off. But because Baruch saved my life. I didn't mean to say that. I meant to say the hamster ate the homework, but what came out was the homework ate the hamster. Anyway, so that's why, you know, where all these stories come from. So my main point, and it's through laughter and through stories, the point I'm trying to give to you without being too harsh, is that the most important thing that a person can have and give in life is time, and it's the hardest thing to give. You know, the little boy told his father, for my birthday, I want to be your phone. He said, you want a phone? He says, no, I want to be your phone. He says, you want me to buy your phone? He goes, no, I want to be your phone. What are you talking about? He says, come on, Dad. The last thing you see before you go to sleep at night is your phone. I want it to be me. And the first thing you look at when you wake up is your phone. How about looking at me? How about unlimited minutes with me? How about keep me plugged in next to you all the time? making sure that I'm always charged. Come on, Dad. We have to think about this. And then we don't understand why our children are so far away from us and why they go into the things that they do because everyone needs their tati and mommy. Whether they get along with you or not, they need you. And a compliment from a mother and a father or a teacher is bigger than anything in the world. A word from a teacher or a parent can destroy a child and a word from a teacher and a parent can make that child. And I'm going to tell you something very harsh that was said to me, and this is for the teachers, principals, and anybody who's in Chenach. And I said this at a Torah Masorah group. So I, w- I was assistant principal of Crown Heights Yeshiva in Mill Basin. It's a co-ed yeshiva until sixth grade. That's where 30 years I was the eighth grade Rebbe. I became assistant principal, and the rule in school was if you throw out a child from the school... The principals, English Hebrew principals, have to sign the paper, and so does the teacher, and so does the assistant principal. And there was a boy who did something really nasty in the stairwell. They decided they were going to throw him out. So the principal, Hebrew principal, signed the paper, and the English principal only asked me to sign the paper, and I said, I can't. I cannot throw this boy out. Because in Kranai's Yeshiva, they're not religious kids, and if I throw him out, he's going to go to public school. And he's going to go to public school, he's going to meet a nice, beautiful Italian girl, and he's going to marry this Italian girl, and he's going to have children, and he's going to be cut off from the next world, all because Wallstein, and in the next world they're going to say, Wallstein, wherever I'm going to be, get up here to Bezant Shomail, and I'm like, what, what? And they're like, we have a paper with your signature on it. You threw this kid out, and you signed it. I don't want to use the word, but you have Gehenna to pay, the English expression. So I'm like, I am not signing this paper. And they said, then you are not assistant principal anymore. And I was in a big situation. And he was a Mahdi, this boy. So I really didn't know what to do. So I said, okay, I'm going to Eretz Yisrael. I did. I'm going to my Rebbe, Rabbi Gamliel Rabinovich. I'm asking him a Shiloh. I don't want to give up being assistant principal. I have a lot of shaykhs with the kids. I'm going to go ask him. So I went to my Rebbe, Rabbi Gamliel, who's the Rosh Hashiva, Shari Shemayim, pretty big man. And I said to him, I told the story. 
He said, Rebbe, what do I do? I said, I'll tell you the truth. I don't know what to do. This is what he told me. He said, every person, when they come to Shemayim, they ask him three questions. Were you honest in business? And did you, did you want and give over to your children the need for Mashiach? By the way, for all us good men, why don't they ask first, will you convey Eitam Atayra? And then ask, will you honest in business? Rabbi Tzadik said, if the answer to the first question, will you honest in business, is no, they don't ask you the other two questions. Because if you're not honest in business, Hashem doesn't care how much you learned. So the first question is, are you honest? If you're honest, then we can talk about your learning. If you're not honest, no one's interested in your learning or Mashiach. It's a very tough word. So Rabbi Gamil said to me, but for a Rebbe, a principal, or a Mora, there's a fourth question. And Hashem will ask each one of us in Chenach, did you treat my children like they were yours? If the answer is yes, you can make all the mistakes in the world. Because parents make mistakes when they when they tell their children what to do. We're not perfect. So he says, you'll go to Gan Eden. But if the answer is no, they will put you in the Tochim of Gehenim, the seventh level. You will never, no, no Kaddish, nothing will ever get you out. If you didn't treat Hashem's children like your own. <laughs> I'm there, I'm like, Rabbi Gamliel, I quit. What do I need this for? I'll go out, I'll sell my plastic shopping bags in my business. I'll make money. I'll give money to Machon. I'll give money to Yeshivas. I'll give money to Kailim. I need the fourth question in Shemayim. I need to, to sit in the Tahim Chaspashalom. So he said, he looked at me like, so why don't you just treat every kid like it's your own child? And the opposite always is you will sit a Rebbe and a Mora who loves their students like their own children will sit in a place in Ganeden that the biggest Sadiqim can't go to. Okay? So I went home and I sat down and I looked at this boy and I said, if this was my son, would I throw him out of school? If this was my boy, my only boy, I have no children. He said, Ben Yachid, every kid you have to think of as an only child. He's the only boy I have in the world and I have all these dreams of this child of what he's going to be. And here I have to sit and make a decision. Do I throw him out of school? Will I throw this boy out of school? And the answer was 100% no. So I went into the principal's office and I said, this is my son. I will get him therapy. I will get him chavuses. I will get him mentors. I will do whatever it takes. Please give him another chance. Today, that boy is a Rebbe. Not Stammer Rebbe, superstar Rebbe, who is very, very close to me. If you, anyone in this room that's in Chinuch, if you cannot treat every child in your class like it's your own, quit. Just not worth it in the next world. Walk out of Chinuch. So there I am at a Torah Masorah convention of principals and rabbeim, and this is what I say. And I walk out, and I'm going to the parking lot, and this Rebbe from Five Towns walks over to me and says, thank you, I'm quitting. <laughs> I, just, I just can't take that responsibility. And I'm like, you're the only guy in that room that should stay because it bothers you that much. It is the greatest responsibility in the world and they cannot pay you enough to be a teacher. One bad word can destroy 
child's life forever. One good word can turn a child who's depressed and out of it into the most amazing person. We have, as Mechanchim, these children's futures in our hands. When you have to make a decision on any kid, it's your one daughter. It's your only daughter. What would you do? And there were times as assistant principal that I thought that and I had to send the kid away. Because if that was my kid and he was destroying, right, other kids in my family, and he's a machdi, I can't keep him there, but I definitely wouldn't just throw him out. I'll find him another school, a better school, a different school. I'll make sure he's taken care of. I'm not just going to throw him out of school. But there were times where, yeah, that if that was my son and I had a couple of other kids in the house, I wouldn't be able to keep him in the house. So it made my life very easy because I have girls who come to me all day with very big, important questions about shiduchim and marriage. And how could I answer? I'm not, I don't have Ruch Kodesh. I'm not a Makobal. How do I answer? It's simple. It's my monkey sitting in front of me. It's my daughter. I know what I would tell my daughter. We all know what we'll tell our own kids. So there are, there are times that girls came to me and I told them what they didn't like. And they're like, come on, change your mind. I have this famous story where this girl was going on a sixth date. She was really happy with this boy. And they went on a date and they went to some the place that goes around the Marriott. And, and they sat down to have drinks, you know, because it's a cheap date. And he, um, they ordered, he ordered a Diet Coke. And she ordered a Diet Coke and he ordered a Coke. And it came out to like $15, like $7.50 a glass of soda. So when they got the bill... Right, so it says tip, and he said, I'm not tipping. I'm not tipping. She said, why aren't you tipping? He said, $15 for two glasses of soda? I'm not tipping. She said, I know, but the waitress doesn't get the $15. The waitress only gets the tip. He says, I don't care, I'm not tipping. And he got up, made a chil Hashem, and walked out, he didn't tip. So she came to me, she said, but he's really a nice guy, and I really like him, and you know, I've been going out for a while. Is this a reason to drop a boy? And I know how much she wants to get married, this girl. So this is a very tough answer. I said, okay. My daughter Malki comes home. She's going out with a boy. He doesn't tip. This kid is paying with his father's credit card. This poor girl who's the waitress, her whole living, she has to work to get through school to be a waitress to get $2. What's $15? What's the tip? $3? 20%? Right? two fifty. dollars And you're, you're not machshiv that she served you to give her $2.50? That's where you're saving your money. So I'm thinking to myself, with my daughter, I would tell, I will call the shachin, this is over. I don't care what, how he learns, what he has no midos. He has no akarsatol, the essence of it. Finished! She's like, please don't say that. I really want to go out with him again. I'm like, I can't change what I'm saying. Come on, I really want to go out with him again. I'm like, in Shemayim, I have to answer to Hashem, if you were my daughter, I'd break the shidduch. So even sometimes against what the girl wants, if she's my daughter, then I have to treat her like my daughter. If a mechanech, a teacher, treats a child like your own child, you will find you will become a very different mechanech. And that's how you have to think. Because we are all going to get that fourth question, and it's a very serious question. And as a parent, Kodesh Baruch is going to ask us, why didn't I give you a pikadon? I gave you something very precious to take care of. Why didn't you give it any attention? Wasn't it important enough? I am a one-third partner. Wasn't it important enough? If you own something that God is a one-third partner, how could you ignore what I'm a one-third partner in? How could you be on your phone, busy with your friends, when what I gave you, this because of this child, 
You're not giving any time to. We need to give each other. We need to give our children the most important thing we have, and that is time. We need to go home. We need to give them time. The only reason I'm standing in front of you is because, Baruch Hashem, I have parents. My father, Olav Shalom, his whole life, he had no friends. Not because people didn't like him. His whole life was his kids. That's it. So I knew, I knew that my father thought that me, my brother, and sister were the greatest things in the world that Hashem gave us. And he told us that. He said, I daven. He was in the American Army. He was a Marine. He said, you don't know how many times I prayed that I should be saved and I should be alive so that I could have Jewish kids. So I knew in my heart, no matter what happened to me, and things happened to me in third grade, and things happened to me in tenth grade, and there's still people who say nasty things about me, because that's the way of the world. When you get to a certain position, you just get shot at. And I don't care, because my mother and my father think I'm the greatest thing that ever happened to them, me, my brother, and my sister. So it's what we call the bulletproof vest. When a child knows that its parent loves them, nobody, we have... Kids that get bullied, you can't bully me. My father and mother will take care of me. You, you, you can't give me low self-esteem. As long as I know my parents love me, but how do I know my parents love me? Because they said they're going to buy me something? No. Because they dropped everything when I walked in the house. And they're not talking to their friends. And Miriam is home. And that's the focus of my mother and my father. I know because they give me time that they love me. Those kids grow up healthy. And by the way, that is the whole basis of Yiddishkeit. I don't know what you're teaching in your classes. I don't know what you're teaching at home. But I go around the whole world and I ask 12th grade, Besyakov, doesn't matter what school they're in, brilliant girls who are 100 students. And I'm like, what is Yiddishkeit? If you met a, a guy in Walgreens and she's behind the camera, she says, ooh, you're Jewish, I see you're Jewish. What does that mean? What are you going to tell them? It's a religion. One girl raised his hand. It's a religion. I like to so say, what makes you special? I would think if it's a religion, I wouldn't pick Judaism. Judaism has, what, 9 million Jews? 12 million Jews? <laughs> Christians have a couple of billion? Muslims have a couple of billion? Must be that religion's right. More people believe that than ours. Ooh. So what's Yiddishkeit? Uh, a bunch of rules! Get that. Oh, that's great. That's what I want to join. A bunch of rules. 613 rules. So here I am talking to kids and parents who are from people who are learning Tyra. They have no idea what Yiddishkeit is. Yeah, it's near, it says Yiddishkeit. It's not Yiddishkeit. It's not Yiddishkeit. Davening is not Yiddishkeit. Muslims are Tznius. Muslims pray five times a day. So if it was Yiddishkeit, there'd be more religion. Imagine what Shemr Shabbos would look like five in Yenem, five different ones. Shabbos, Mincha, Musaf, and some other something in between. So here I am in from schools asking the question, you're a 12th grader, you know everything in Torah, the best schools, what are you? What is Yiddishkeit? Well, it was a bunch of Jews, and Rabbi Mechanic was here, and he told us it was a bunch of Jews, and they were, they were by Hasina, and we were doing 600,000, 3 million, and, 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 and Christianity is only one guy, and the Muslim is only one guy, and Buddha is a little fat guy who couldn't lose weight for 10,000 years, like, you know, and, and Hindus are a bunch of cows, so it must be that we're right. And I'm like, how do you know there were 3 million Jews at Hasina? You got a video? How do you know? Because Mechanic said it? And they're all looking at me like, Oh my God, you didn't come in here to like uh, 
turn us into another religion, did you, Rabbi? I'm like, no, you just don't have any idea what we're all about. How do you know Hashem loves you? You know, a lot of people feel Hashem doesn't love them. Uh, I was at a very sad, sad thing yesterday. It was, it was a girl that I, that was one of my students that her parents are not in her life anymore, and she had a very tough life, and she finally found this boy and all her dreams and all her potential, and she got married, and it's now three and a half years after she got married. She had a little baby boy, and yesterday I watched her, him give her a get. I never was at a bezin, but she didn't have any father, any mother to support her, so I had to sit there with her. And it's probably the saddest thing I ever saw in my life. And she turned to me in the middle of them writing the get. takes them a while to write it. And she looks at me and she goes, So, Rabbi Wallerstein, so now what do you have to say about God? Huh? He's good? You get up, you give all these speeches. Rabbi, now what are you saying? My whole dreams finished. The one guy that I thought was going to pull me out of all my nightmares, he's going to give me a get right now. So what are you going to say, Rabbi Wallerstein? This is what she said. She said, it's so dark. Perfect words. I said, it's so dark. So let me tell you about so dark. I said, right now in the Midwest, they haven't had rain in a year. In California, they haven't had rain. I said, they get up every morning and they run to the window and the sun is shining. They're like, ah. I said, do you know how happy they would be if they ran to the window and during in the morning and it's pitch black and they go outside and there's clouds that are pitch black because the only clouds that give rain are black clouds. White clouds don't give rain. I said, if they saw black clouds, to them it means rain. Rain means the plants are going to grow. The whole potential that they planted is going to happen in darkness. And nothing in this world, no vegetation, can grow without water. The desert grows and then there's no more water. In the, in the summer, everything dies. Nothing can grow just from sunlight. There has to be some type of moisture. But at the bottom of the ocean, vegetation grows and coral grows. Water doesn't always need sunlight. But sunlight always needs water. So I turned to her and I said, it's very, very dark. And it gets very dark. But from this get is going to come rain. You're going to be free of the abuse that you went through. And you're going to find someone who loves you and cares about you. And is going to take your child as his own. And your whole potential that looked like it was over is going to start. And she said, Reverend Wallstein, thank you. Where did that come from? By the way, that's Yiddishkeit. Yiddishkeit is Hakar Satov. In order to recognize in the worst of the times... But how, how do you do that? How do you know Hashem loves you? How does anyone in this room know Hashem loves you? We all go through a lot of stuff. And the answer is very simple. In the beginning of my shit tonight, I said, what does love mean? Love means time. So why does Hashem care if I wake up in the morning? There's a halacha, i got to put my right shoe on first. Because I wear till and i got to tie my left shoe. Does Hashem really care if anyone in this room puts their other shoe on? Does He care if I sleep on my right side? Or my left side, does he need me to make a bracha on an apple? I'm a worm, I'm a goldfish, I'm nobody. Baruch Hashem, I'm telling Hashem, I'm blessing you. Hashem needs my blessing, right? If a little mosquito flew by and said, all right, Walston, well, I hope you give a good shit tomorrow. I'd just fuck it out of here, you're a mosquito. Right, so what's going on over here? What is Yiddishkeit about? What is this all about? What is Beis Yaakov? What is Chinuch? What is this all about? And people look at me and like, 
Uh, I don't know. Isn't it like rules? When Hashem, he came down from the Hasina, he said, ooh, the Jews are not, they're not in school. We've got to give them a textbook. Well, we'll give them the Torah. Or this one teacher, she should be benched, gave a girl in high school a punishment. So right, she came late. So she finally gave her a punishment. She has to write 10 capitals come to Hillel. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that was David Melech. He was sitting there one day, and he's like, you know, kids, they just don't get enough punishments. I think I'm going to write to Hillel. And then there was one day he had a really bad day, and he said, I'm going to write Kofi test. Yeah. <laughs> Tyra is not a subject. Tyra is life. Ladies, men, what we're losing in this generation is Torah is becoming a subject. It is not a subject. It is life. And I'm not going to get into my whole speech to go to convention about marking and turning it into a test and turning it into marks. Moshe never tested Kla Yisrael. There is no test in the Shainais. A servant in the in the Torah is not a mark on a piece of paper. It's about leaving Lechelcha It's about sacrifice. There's none of the ten tests that Ram got was sit down and number from one to twenty. And that's why we're losing them. We're losing them because when it comes to subject, some kids think biology is easier than Chumash. At least, and I get this all the time, at least my English subjects I'm going to use when I go to college to get a job. What am I going to do with Chumash? What am I going to do with Nabi? What am I going to do with it? Right? So at least my English subject so it became a subject. It's not, it's not, it's not fear. It's not what Hashem created. He created life. Torah is life. The tragedy. I spoke this summer about tragedies. The tragedies in the Torah, one after another. Five children died in the first three books in the Torah. Havel, Erva'onon, Nadav and Avihu. Nadav and Avihu in front of their father? Erva Onan, Yehuda's oldest children, Hevel, right? Where isn't there tragedy in the Torah? Moshe Rabbeinu, what he went through, that he couldn't talk, learning disability, the only one in the whole Torah, I can't talk, I can't talk, I can't talk, what's going on over here? Every single person in the Torah went through tragedy. Sorry, Meno, they have children for 90 years. Today, if our kids don't have kids for two years, they're panicking. I'm married two years, they don't have children. Sorry, Meno, they have children for 90 years. Let's say we're anywhere in the Torah. She laughed. She was human. She laughed. No, it's not going to happen. Even though they came and said it happens, a bunch of Arabs coming, it's not going to happen. Abraham Avinu's father threw him into a kifshan of Aish. Yosef Atzadik's brothers sold him. Yaakov Avinu, when he saw Paro, Paro said, I saw a man that looks so bad, that looks so old. He said, yeah, of course I look so old. You know what happened to my daughter, Dina? You know what happened to my son, Yosef? You know what happened to my beloved wife, Rachel? When she was young, I don't have to tell you what happened to Dina, you all know. Imagine a father, God forbid, what happened to Dina, what happened to his wife, what happened to his famous son. You, you want tragedies? You want to go through Navi? You want to go through David Amelech? Adonijahu? Avshalom? You want tragedies? Every tragedy you could imagine is in the Torah. That's not a subject. It's life. Because every one of those people, including Abraham Avinu, including... Talk about kids off the derech. Yitzhak had an Esav. That's called really off the derech. Every single tragedy that could happen in a family happened in the Torah. So why does Hashem give us this Torah? Because Torah is life. And things happen in life. So let's look at all these people who went through all these tragedies. And let's look, let's look at a Rus 
who came from the worst place in the world, Moab, what she became. And let's look at an Esther who lost both her parents before she was even born. Every heroine, everyone, every leader of Israel went through the worst tragedies in the world and look who they became. And that's what the Torah wants to teach us. It wants to teach us, it wants to teach us life. So how do we know Hashem loves us? Because Hashem came up with 613 ways to spend time with every one of us. So Hashem said, if you're a woman, light, light candles for Shabbos, you're a coin gadol. If you're a man, wear tzitzes. If you're a woman, beat sneers. All the mitzvahs, also, if you're a farmer, we got mitzvahs kalayim, we got all kinds of mitzvahs leket and payah. Right? Whatever you are, you're a businessman, you can't lend with ribbis, you can't take more than a certain amount of money as profit. Whatever you are, you're a client, you're not a client, whatever you are, Hashem has a way to spend time with you. So in the morning when you put your shoe on, He's like, think about me, because when you think about a person, you're spending time with them. So when you put your shoe on, you think about, oh, my right shoe, because that's what Hashem said, think about me. When you kiss the mezuzah every time you go through a door, think about me. What does that prove? That proves I want to spend time with you. What is love? What is a relationship? When you spend time. So all the other religions, Nebuch. Nebuch, the Goyim, have only seven ways to spend time with God. Nebuch on them. They're not his children. Us? My my children? My children want to spend 613 different ways of spending time. That is Yiddish guy came around the Barbanon and said, we love you, Hashem, so much. 613 ways of spending time? Not enough. We're going to do some mitzvahs to Rabbanon to spend time with you. And when you teach that to children, they're excited about Yiddish guys. When it's rules and a subject, the subject. And I always say, you know, class, the minute the bell rings, everyone's out of there. And then you get a bunch of tests on everything you learn. Why do kids watch movies? Right? DVDs and DVDs and DVDs and for four hours and five hours. You know why? And they never walk out. And they never get bored. Because at the end of the movie, there's no test. There's no test. Nobody's testing you on it. You can have a good time. There's no test. And they sit there and they watch the credits. Fourth cameraman, eighth cameraman. You're never going to meet the guy who really cares, right? They don't want to leave. Who sits in class after the teacher's finished and is like, you know, how about, how much, can you give me some more details? Why? Because a movie is not a subject. Torah, Kosh Baruch loves us. And he gave us this Torah because it's life. Life is not a subject. It's exciting and it's beautiful, but that's the way you have to teach it. Once we mark it and we put it on a report card, it dies. And I know, I get all the arguments. Well, then how do you reward and how you don't reward? You know what? Any of the teachers in this room, and even parents, you got one kid who has 145 IQ, you have another kid who has a 95 IQ, you have one kid in your class that has no memory at all, he can't even remember his name, he has to look at his name tag, right? And you have another kid that whatever he looks at, he memorizes memorizes every label that every label that he sees, he has a crazy memory. Then you have one kid who has the most beautiful parents and the most beautiful family, and he leaves every day and his mommy gives him a kiss and his tati gives him a kiss, and then his mommy and tati say nice things to each other and he walks out, ah, and he comes to school and he's normal. And the other kid he's 
running out. He's tucking himself in. His mother's still sleeping. His father and mother are fighting. The place is flying. He just gets onto the bus, and he comes to school, and he's depressed, and he's coming from this dysfunctional home. And we teach all these kids same, with, with different IQs, different home lives, different memories. We teach them the same way, the same thing, test them all the same test on the same thing. How can that work? It can't. So, yeah. Who gave the kid the 95 IQ? Who gave the kid the 135 IQ? God. Who gave the kid the dysfunctional family? Who gave the kid the functional family? God. Who gave the kid an unbelievable memory? Who gave the kid a terrible memory? Hashem. Who made him an introvert or an extrovert? Hashem. So that side of the report card, as long as the kid is 100%, his effort is 100%, and his conduct is 100%, and his derech eretz is 100%, left side of the report card, the most most important part of the report card. Because if, if a person, if a kid's effort is 100%, how could you give him an 80? Effort 100% means that I'm doing the best I can. So if you give him an 80, that means he's only 80% of the rest of the class, but he only has a 95 IQ, and the rest of the other kids have 135 IQ. So what does that 80 mean? How are you comparing him to the rest of the class? So if he, he has 100 in effort, so on the other side of the report card, it has to be 100. Straight down. If he tried as hard as he can, then he did 100% of what he could do. Your mark doesn't make any sense. So I said, then you need to take that side, the right side of the report card, and send it to Eretz Yisrael, and stick it in the Kosovo Maravi. Because that's Hashem's mark. Hashem gave him the 95 IQ, Hashem gave him the dysfunctional family, and Hashem gave him the lack of memory. We have to, we have to change. We have to change, because the world out there is beating us up. Atheism, I have, cannot tell you how many girls this year from from families this summer I have sat with who sat in front of me and said, I don't believe there's a God. Or I don't believe that God cares. He created the world and he left. I cannot tell you from the frumest, forget about Chil Shabbos, with the, with the phones of Chil Shabbos. It's, it's not believable. From the best girls, I have girls that sat in front of me this summer who are on their phones and watching movies on Shabbos, but they won't do bayrer. They won't take a bone out of fish. And they won't make a coffee with a Kaylee Rishon. And I'm like, I don't ha. And they're like, nah, phone's not really. Hashem understands. He understands. I'm bored. I have nothing to do. And I'm like, and who are you on the phone? All my friends. You understand the attack of Chilo Shabbos against us right now is not normal. So we can't use the old tools. The Sultan has come up with, the, the, most of them are addicted. So a whole week they're on their phone. So Shabbos, they cannot be without their phone. They, my friends are talking and I'm going to miss it. So there's Chil Shabbos, there's pornography, there, there, is, there, is, there is terrible internet, there's terrible waste of time, the, the, the other world is charming, loud, noises, pictures, instant gratification. We didn't have this in our door. So we can't fight them with the subject. We're not going to win. We have to take Yiddishkeit and learning and make it life. That's a little bit more work, but we have to make it life because the Torah is life. Anything you're going through, I will show you. I will show it to you in the Torah, and I'll show you someone in the Torah that conquered it. Any situation you bring to the table. That's the beauty of the Torah. The Torah is not a storybook of only good things. And that's what we have to do. And if we do that, we have a chance against that internet and all those... And, and, and to say that kids don't have phones... They got us beat. You take away their phone, they get one for 20 bucks with internet. We're not going to win that way. 
they're going to get the phone. But we have to make it interesting to be a from Jew and then maybe to understand that, you know, my time is my life. And, and if I'm going to spend my time, my machlekes with girls now against the Internet is not from the from point of view. It's, I was sitting with a bunch of girls. And I'm like, do you know what you could do with a kid in one hour? I said, you're on the phone for three hours. I will give you an autistic child. I will give you, I said, you know how many kids? Okay, you're high school, right? You're running out of high school. Do you know how many kids in elementary, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, are struggling? There's a lot of learning disabilities. I don't know if it comes from the vaccines. It doesn't. There's a little machlekesim, but Lemaisa, our generation, there's a lot of kids with learning disabilities. So, and a lot of parents can't pay a tutor $75 an hour today or more. So I said to the girls, I said, do you know if you would just give one hour to a first grader who's struggling in math, so this kid you're going to save because she's not going to struggle and they get left back and they get depressed and then find a boyfriend and then start cutting and then who knows, doing drugs. You know, you, one hour, one hour, I've seen this, one hour, imagine this poor girl, the second grade, this cute little Miriam, she's struggling and in walks Javi from 11th grade. Hi Miriam, I'm Javi from 11th grade. Really? I'm here to spend an hour with you. What? You're an 11th grader and you want to spend an hour with me? Yeah. Let's, let's sit down and learn. Maybe we'll go out to eat. You save the kid's life. You save the kid. High school girl? And I'm telling these high school girls, I'm like, what are you going to tell Hashem? Five hours? You could, have, you could have tutored kids for five hours? You could have saved their whole life? What were you doing on the phone at the end of the five hours? What do you have? Nothing. You don't even have your text messages because you erased them. You don't want your mother to see them. You don't even have those. Time? What a person can do in one hour? I said, go to a nursing home. My grandmother, all of Shalom, used to be in a nursing home. She was a yekka, so there was a nursing home in the Palisades. And I used to go every Thursday. And it was a big thing for her, you know, a grandson. She would get dressed and put on a special clothing, and she would do her hair because she had to show off to all her friends that her grandson was coming to visit. But there was this one other Yekisha girl from Broyers. There was a whole group of them that used to come on Thursday, Arab Shabbos, you know, with the ladies. And there was sometimes that I was there sitting with my grandmother, you know, where they sit, and these girls would walk in, and there was this one old, old lady, and she, mama, she was in a wheelchair, she was dressed in her finest, and this girl would call her Miriam, whatever it is, would walk in, and she would say, how do I look, Miriam? Don't I look great? And Miriam would say, you're the best, and she would show her all her pictures, because they used to paint little cats and stuff, whatever it is, and this girl would say, wow, you're an artist, and you just saw this old lady who had nothing in life, she's mama, she's in the waiting room for for the next world, no, no family, no nothing. What this girl did in that one hour for her, she will sit in Ghanaian forever, what she did for this woman in one hour. You could change a person's life, and you're sitting on a phone. That's where I come at kids with. I don't come out with religion because they're not interested right now that much in religion. I'm like, time means love. And a Kodesh Baruch who gives us this very precious thing because if we didn't have it in this room, we wouldn't be alive, and I'm a kind, I'd have to walk out. Everyone in this room, Baruch Hashem, you have something very special. Hashem is giving you time. Use it. Use it for your children, for your husbands. Use it for yourself. Get off the phone and spend a couple of minutes with yourself. Find out who you are. Find out what your plans are. Find out what you want to do, what you did, where you're going. Five minutes at night before you go to sleep. Maybe I hurt a child today. Maybe I should have said something nice to her that he didn't. So tomorrow I'm going to say something nice. But if you don't think about it, it all passes by. You don't even remember. Time. 
You have to spend time with yourself. So yes, we have children and we have husbands and we have all that, but you can't be a mother and you can't be a father and you can't be a wife and you can't be a husband if you don't know who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, how can you have a relationship with someone else? A relationship is two people. So we have to spend time. And that's his class. That's the, that's the secret. I could stand there and tell you, I could give you books that, that, that on, on people go and they buy books on how to bring up children and Dr. Spock and books on, 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 on how, how a marriage should work and Shalom Bias. You can take your books and you can burn them in your chametz if you don't give each other time. There's no book that's going to make a good relationship with your child. And there's no book that's going to give you Shalom Bias if you don't spend time with your husband and you don't spend time with your wife doesn't work. So I'm here tonight. It's Chaydish Elul. Ani is the first word. Ani. It's all about relationships. That's Yiddishkeit. That's the Torah. A relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. A relationship with each other and a relationship with ourselves. And as Rabbi Akiva said, Vahafta l'reicha kalaycha zechal gadolatayra loved your friend who's your friend you are love your friend who's your best friend you're your best friend you don't gotta go to a therapist to find out who you are you know who you are you know your good points and you know your bad points and it's good to know your bad points because if you don't know them you can't fix them you are your best friend who is you gotta spend some time with that best friend everybody you got to spend some time with yourself. You got to get rid of the buzz and all the technology. You got to spend time with your kids. You got to give them that bulletproof vest. My mommy, my tati, love me. How do I know? How do you know? They bought you something? No. They put their phone away when I come home. Then the kid knows you love them. So I want to give you all a bracha. Shem should give you lots of time. Lots and lots of time with your families. Only good time. I'll tell you, just I'll end with this very funny story by Rabbi Wallstein's most embarrassing moment of his life. So I, um, I was 16 years old and my, my parents, I was in Muncie, and they let me drive because my mother made a deal. I'll let you get your license and I'll give you the car if you shop for Shabbos. Deal. So since I'm 16, which is a long time ago, I always shop for Shabbos. Not that my wife needs me to. I love it. I love to shop for Shabbos. To me, it's amazing. You walk into a fruit store. I buy on, the, on Avenue M on the corner by the Koreans. I go into that fruit store, and I'm like, this is amazing. It's a museum. I'm like, Hashem, this is amazing. You did this all for me. Green pepper, red pepper, yellow pepper, orange pepper. I would have been happy with one green pepper. The bananas are green, then the bananas become yellow. The green apple, the red apple, the purple eggplant. Everything has a different color. String beans have this shape. Peas have that shape. Oh, my gosh. It's not normal. And if I was the only person in the world, there may not be as much fruit, but there would still be as many species because that was created in the beginning of the world. That's crazy. It's, a fruit store is a, is a museum. And I get very excited when I shop for Shabbos. And you know, when you shop for Shabbos, right? Look how much Shabbos Kodesh. Whatever you buy, look how much Shabbos Kodesh. You buy potatoes for the Kugel, look how much Shabbos Kodesh. Someone told me, if you say it, the stuff's going to come out good. So then when my wife says, no, isn't the Kugel great? I'm like, not because of you. Because of me. I said, look how much Shabbos Kodesh. So one day, this Korean guy puts up a big sign, Avenue M, fruit store. Puts up a big sign, all my vegetables and fruits are kosher. <laughs> So I'm serious. So I come on Friday to do my shopping. I see the sign. I'm like, so you're cut fruit? He goes, no, no. All my fruit kosher. I'm like, listen, fruit is all kosher. 
and vegetables are all kosher. You don't have to put up that sign. He goes, no! My fruit, kosher! I'm like, why do you think your fruit is kosher? He goes, because you, big rabbi, you talk to all my fruit every Friday. You make them kosher. I'm like, please do not spread the word that Wallerstein taught us the fruits. Okay? True story. So, you were in my school, and you know that so there's girls that went through a lot of a lot of a lot of bad things, and 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 they end up in a bad place, and a lot of them don't keep Shabbos, and um, not their fault. They went through crazy abuse, and so so I didn't know how to bring them Shabbos and connect them with their mothers, who a lot of them didn't get along with. How to do that in a you know not in a giving them a share because they'll walk out if I give them a share. First day of school, I never forget. I got up and I said. So I just want everyone to know that God is our father. And one girl got up and said, that's right, he's an abusive father. I'm like, uh-oh. And then I said, well, but okay, we can, we'll talk about that. But, but Israel, that's our family. And she's like, yeah, dysfunctional family. So that's how we started our school. Okay. Baruch Hashem, I got a lot better than that. But I just want to tell you what I did. So I came up with this brainiac idea. I said, I'm going to give the girls, because I always bought the flowers for Shabbos. I'm going to buy a flower, a rose. They actually pack each rose separately in the cellophane. I'm going to give each girl a rose for Shabbos. So it'll connect her to Shabbos, and she'll bring it home to her mother. Well, she'll keep it. So Baruch Hashem, for the last seven years, I have not missed a Friday. And they get one week of white, and one week of yellow, and one week of red. And I've got girls who graduated say, Red Walsh, the one thing I miss about BCA is that rose there of Shabbos. I got in very big trouble the first week I did it. I don't know if you remember. Some girl posted on Facebook... Rabbi Wallerstein gave me a rose. <laughs> Wasn't good. I'm getting a lot of reaction. So now I just put the roses on the table like, girls, take your roses. Right? But so so in Flatbush there's this big, big flower store, also a museum. It's a museum. Roses, right? Gladiolas, birds of paradise. I don't want to show off. Okay? A lot of different flowers, a lot of different smells, a lot of different colors, tulips. I mean, it's, it's amazing. French tulips, regular tulips. And, and, and I walk in there and I'm like, how come everyone's depressed? Look at what Hashem created for me. A fruit store, then I go to a flower store, and he's got new colors and new shapes. And these two ladies, because usually I go at 11 o'clock to buy for my school, but that day I was there at 8.30. And these two ladies were in the store, and they did not look happy. They did not look happy at all. And I could tell, right, Baruch Hashem, I have five daughters and a wife. I grew up with six women. Right? You know when someone's in a good mood, when someone's in a bad mood. They were not in a good mood, these two. I don't know what happened. Maybe they got up too early. I don't know what happened. They were not in a good mood. So they go up to the Korean guy, and I, I'm, I'm just standing there looking at my flowers, and they're like, takes out, they both have these roses, beautiful roses, and they're like, is this fresh? I'm thinking about that one time I went to Preston's Bakery on Avenue M, the morning after Pesach, and an old lady walked in and said, is that bread fresh? No, we were baking it a whole Pesach, you know, hello, you know. So I'm like, and, and it's a little bit of a chil Hashem, this guy's selling flowers, and these women are like barking at him. Are these flowers fresh? Now, you know me, so whoever knows me, I'm like, I can't keep my mouth quiet. Right? And I'm like, ladies, you're in a museum. Look at all these flowers that Hashem created. I mean, how could you be in a bad mood? You're buying flowers for Shabbos? Why are you screaming at this guy? I said, do you realize that all these flowers, if you two didn't exist all these flowers Hashem created for me? Do you realize that? Just for me? And the Korean guy behind me goes, 
Oh, Rabbi, you bought all my flowers today? I'm like, no, no, no. It's, this is the most beautiful place in the world. And, and, and this is what we have to teach kids. Yeah. I don't know if you can. I don't know if you have the money. Could you imagine in 12th grade if the teacher walked in and, or the principal or the school and every single kid got a flower for Shabbos? Do you know, do you know, do you know that little knage? It's just a flower. It's a buck. It's not even a buck. It's 12 for $10. It's not even a dollar. And you're taking that child and you're saying, number one, I love you. Give me a flower. Number two, look how beautiful this flower is. Take it home for Shabbos. So I'm connecting you with Shabbos. And by the way, maybe here's an extra flower. Give that to your mother. You spent $2. You just did crazy therapy. So anyway, so I'm in Glotmart and I'm shopping for Shabbos. Most embarrassing moment. This is the end. And I have no memory. Whoever knows the story, please don't say it. I have no memory of women's faces because I teach women all the time. So when I started teaching women 10 years ago, Hashem totally took away my memory. There are times I come home, my daughter Hindi's at the door, and I'm like, are you Hindi's friend? Tati, it's me. I'm Hindi. Okay. So I don't have a good memory for faces. And many times, girls come up to me, and they're like, oh, Rabbi Wallerstein, you remember me? I, I don't remember anybody, right? But in Brooklyn, they're tough. Kids are tough. And they're like, I'm like, of course, you never tell someone you don't remember them. She's sitting in front of you for eight years, writing your shiurim, and you don't even know who she is. That's a terrible thing. So, yes, of course I remember you. So some girls are like, so Rabbi, what's my name? <laughs> then you're really in trouble. So I tell them all the same thing. Listen, my Rebbe's Rabbi Gamliel, he said it's not sneeze to say a girl's name. So I know your name, but I can't tell it to you. So what do flappish girls do? They take out a pen and a piece of paper. Okay, you don't have to say it, write it. <laughs> so I totally forget faces. So I'm in Glotmark, and I don't know, you know, teacher, maybe I spoke in Machon. I don't know people. I don't remember where, you know, maybe they were in my class. Maybe they taught in my Inkranite Yeshiva. I don't know. So I'm wheeling my nice little car, and I'm putting in my, my marrow bones, you know, my flanking. I love to shop. It's very relaxing. It used to be. Now everybody brings their kids to talk to me. We know when you shop. And they're like, hi, meet my child. You know, I try to reach you a whole week. I'm like, uh, I'm doing the chant right now. Okay? So anyways, I'm walking. the a true story. I'm walking just to show you. And all of a sudden, this woman is coming the other way. And she looks up at me. And she says, oh, my goodness. You must come to us for Shabbos. I am not taking no for an answer. You must come for Shabbos with your family. I'm looking at this woman. I don't know her. I never saw her. She's inviting me for Shabbos. What do I do? But I know she must know me. She's not my sugar. She must know me. It's probably my wife's best friend. I don't know who she is. I'm trying to get my little flip phone out there to take a picture of her so I can send it to my wife and say, who is this? Right? So we can have a conversation. But never look at this phone until you get a picture on this phone. Forget about it. Right? So I'm standing. It's a true story. I'm standing there and I'm like, I don't know who she is. And then she says it again. She says, but you don't understand. Me and my husband, we are not taking no for an answer. You have to come for lunch. I'm thinking to myself, this must be someone who knows me very well. I'm sure Esty will agree. It's probably one of her good friends. So I'm like, okay. Okay. But I have to tell you something. My daughter, Hindi, has three friends. So it's not just us for lunch. It's her three friends also. This woman looks at me with the most, I don't even know how to express this with an English word. She looks at me in horror. Horror. And I'm looking at her. And she's looking at me, and I'm like, you just invited me for Shabbos with my family and Hindi's friends. Why are you looking at me that way? Right? But I can't say that. And she's like, disgusted with me. And I'm not happy what's going on. And I'm turning red, and I know something here went very wrong. So she's facing me, I'm facing her, and I'm like, 
come up for Shabbos with my family, and she's looking at me in horror. And then all of a sudden, she turns to get a piece of meat, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Right underneath her shaitel in her left ear is a Bluetooth, and it's flashing. And I'm like, she wasn't talking to me. She was on her phone. It's a true story. She was on her phone inviting someone for Shabbos, and Wallerstein, I'm coming with my family and my daughter's friends. And she's like, this Meshuganah is walking around, going over to women and saying, he's coming to my house with my friends and my daughter. So first of all, if you have a Bluetooth, please let everyone know what you have. Okay, that's number one. So the, I, got very, I got very upset. First of all, with all with, I said to her, I said, you know, not only am I coming for Shabbos, but you, you were talking so loud Five Mex- the five Mexican guys that are working here, they're also coming for Shabbos. I mean, what are you running around the store screaming, I'm not taking no for an answer? You could have had the whole pot lot showing up for lunch and Shabbos, right? But I turned to her and I said, I said, I, I apologize. I'm not coming for Shabbos. I don't even know who you are. Please don't tell anyone I said that. Because will definitely not let me talk if I meet women and tell them I'm coming to out for Shabbos. That's not going to work. I said, so, so please forgive me for the truth story. I said, but I have to tell you something. I said, Shopping for Shabbos. So it's bad enough you don't say the cover Shabbos Kodesh. And it's bad enough you didn't even look at the piece of meat you picked out. I said, Shabbos, the whole Indian is to look at the piece of meat that you picked out and to pick out the best. Don't you learn the Gemara? The Rav, the, the Tana went through 100, piece, 100 fish. He looked at each one until he found the best fish. I said, you're so busy on your phone, you don't even know what you bought. You're screaming in a, in a store, inviting everybody to come to your house. I said, you're, you're shopping, take the phone and disconnect. You're shopping for Shabbos. Shabbos is a date with HaKadosh Baruch Hu for 26 hours. Could you imagine a Kala who's shopping for a chassan, not focusing on what her mother's buying? Anyone here who has a daughter that got engaged, right? You buy $100 with flowers. Those flowers aren't big enough. He's coming to the house. Bigger flowers, more flowers. Ma, what kind of cake did you buy? Did you get a Ziegelman's? What do you mean you get a Ziegelman's? He's coming to the house. It has to be a Ziegelman's, right? I said, you're the collar. We're the collar. You're shopping for Shabbos. You're not even looking at what you're putting on the table for Hashem. For this 26-hour date that we're exhibit with a Kurdish Baruch Hu. And she thought I was absolutely out of my mind. Like, don't tell me what to do. If I want to wear, if I want to wear my, my Bluetooth and I want to invite, imagine a kid who comes home and his mother, instead of being so excited, my mother in those days, they were waiting at the bus. I got off the bus and you get to walk all the way up the block. It's not like Manhattan. She was waiting at the bus. When I got up there, the first thing I got was a kiss from my mother. Today, kids get off a bus. Sit in your car and watch kids get off a bus. They're in the, they're in the house. The kid has to go out, and knock on the door, and the bus driver has to be 40 times because she's on the phone in the house. Or the maid comes out to take the kid. The kid's speaking Spanish. They don't even speak English anymore, right? That, the love that we show our children is the time that we spend with them. I think I made my point. I hope. So I hope you go home and you hug your kids and you decide to give your children and your family time, husbands. That's all they want. Forget the diamond. Oh, don't forget the diamond. Sorry. Last time I said that in the five towns, they'd be like, listen, we could get time and diamonds. Hello? Like, don't forget the diamonds. But the time, we need to give our wife time. We need to give our husbands time. We need to give our Kosh Baruch time. And if anyone ever asks you, how do you know that God loves you? The answer is because Hashem wants to spend all the time with us. And he gave us so many 
ways to spend time with him. And that's this month. If we spend time with us, Hashem will spend time with us. And my bracha to everyone is, Kodesh Baruch Hu just give you a lot of that beautiful thing that we have, which is time. We should have simchas and nachas and shiduchim and health and pranasa and everything that you need. Hashem should give it to you before you ask for it so it doesn't take up any of your schuyos. And as Rat Hashem, we should all this year, it says in the Gemara, B'Shviyas, Shemitah, Matzei Shviyas. It's a Gemara, and the Gemara says that a Matzei Shviyas there's going to be a war. It says in the sixth year, I didn't bring it with me, the quote is as follows. Yud Zayin in, I believe, Megillah. And the quote is as following. At the end of the sixth year, there'll be Kailais, the air raid sirens that we've been hearing for the last six, three months. They're going to be Kailais. The Gemara says, that's the Lashem. In the, in the end of the sixth year, there'll be Kailais. In the seventh year, there'll be war. Shishmita, what's going on in the world right now with ISIS, with the Ukraine. There'll be war. Mateshviyas, Mashiach Ba. Thank you. If you have any questions, um, I don't know if we have time. It was really long. Wow. Um, should we open up for questions or just... If anybody has any questions... Also, one other thing. Focus on the positive. Focus on the positive. Kid comes home with a 50. I know it's very hard. Kid comes home with a 50. Focus on the 50 they got right. Watch what happens when you focus on the 50 they got right, and you sit down like, how'd you get that right? That was such a hard question. Also, the next time they're going to get a 65. Please, please, don't say the following. Don't say the following. How did you get a 50? Do you know how hard your father works? Three jobs that you should go to yeshiva and you should have a tutor. He's going to have a heart attack. And do you know when the world, when the, well, they're going to find out that you in high school got such a low mark, your sister is never going to get a shidduch. And I'm going to lose all my friends. This poor kid who failed is walking around thinking, my father's dying. My sister's never going to get married. My mother has no friends. Right? So on top of all the anxiety that they have, that they got the 50, we add that all on. Just the opposite. I know it's very hard, but I try to practice what I preach. You got 50 right? Let me see how you got those 50 right. Ma, what did you do? Go to Wallstein's speech? No. Let's see how you got the 50 right, because you'll find that there were harder questions than the ones she got right than the one she got wrong, but she was just very careless. So all of a sudden, the next time, there's a 65. We, we have to be able to get past our expectations. Focus on the positive, and you will see a lot more positive. I'm not selling, I'm not one of these rabbis that believes that you're not allowed to criticize. You should criticize, and you've got to push your kid to that 100% effort. You got. I will always push, whether it's in sports in school, you have to push for the 100% effort. That is the most important thing. If I know that you're trying your hardest, I don't need you to be to do, to do more than that. Whatever Hashem gave you, you need to use it. Push on the effort. If they get a good mark on their effort, and a good mark on their respect, and a good mark on their derech eretz, you have to tell them they're doing amazing. Because in life, in life, what do you want to marry? Right? What are the little girls who are going on? I'm like, what are you looking for? I'm looking for a nice boy who's a mensch. What's the side of the report card that says what if you're a mensch or not? The left side of the report card says if you're a mensch. Everybody wants a mensch. Not girls, not guys really. They want a good looking pretty girl with a rich father. But girls, <laughs> girls, we girls want a mensch. So where is that? Where is it? So then if your girl comes home and, she, and the side of the report card effort and their inherits and behavior and interpersonal relationships is Aleph, you should be dancing. And if she's trying her hardest, that's all that you need 
to get from your child, and teachers also. Every child is different. It takes a long time, but every kid is different. Every kid is a fingerprint, and it takes time. You can't teach them all like a flock, like a school of, of fish. Every single kid needs special attention. They're all different. I was different. We're all different. All of us in school, some of us needed a good word. A good word goes a million miles. It's also very, I do it all the time. I tell girls, you're amazing. You're amazing. You know what your potential is? And they're like, why are you saying that? Because in my head, I'm saying that if I tell them they're amazing and they have unbelievable potential, then if they don't realize that potential, then they feel guilty. So they don't realize what I'm doing. By telling them how good they are, right, I'm giving them a responsibility to be good. So at the same time I'm complimenting them, I'm actually creating a, a guilty conscience for not being what they are. If I don't think I can do it, so I don't feel bad about it. But if someone comes along and says, you could do it, you just wrote a composition that was amazing, you have unbelievable intellect, you are not so, you, you don't have to be smart, you have crazy emotional connection, you are creative, musician, artist, right? When you tell them that, they automatically have to live up to it. So you sort of give them a conscience at the same time. You can manipulate, they think they can manipulate you, parents and teachers, by saying the right words, you're mamish the puppeteer. You're mamish the puppeteer. We have a very big kayach. Okay, any questions? Yes. I don't know if a crisis hotline is going to help. You have to find a therapist or a personal one-on-one. But I can tell you this, someone who doesn't want to help, you got to, you have to wait. I, I deal a lot with addictions. You have to wait until that person wants help because so until... The, oh, you mean the parents. So I don't know who your rub is or who your mechanic is, but you need to talk to someone. You know, I'm, She really wants my number. But anyway, I, I can, I'm, I'm so over my head. But there are, there, are, there, are, there are a lot of people out there that um, one-on-one, there's a Maishi Rudish, there's a Ma- I mean, I could give you, I could give you numbers of, somewhere to, somewhere to go. But the, but I have, the rule of thumb is, if the kid is not ready, um, you know, we, have, we we send kids to rehab and other places, and they just, they just relapse, because when someone does something because of me, I own the decision, he doesn't. When he does something because of him, he owns the decision. If he owns the decision, then it happens. But if you want, I'll give you some people to call. I'll give you some people to call. Okay, any other questions? It's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's a never-ending being a parent or a teacher. It's never-ending. You can't be perfect. Nobody can be perfect. You can't be the perfect parent, and you can't be the perfect teacher, right? You just If you treat a child like it's your own child, that's all Hashem wants. He doesn't want you to be perfect. We make mistakes. He doesn't want anyone to be perfect. He just wants us to treat... Our children, like they're our children, they're his children, and and that's all he wants. No one's perfect. No teacher's perfect. I made plenty of mistakes. My kids, with, but I, I try my best. I'm a human being. Everybody has to try their best. You have to give them a time and you have to give them attention. That's it. You got to drop the phones when they walk into the house. All right. You should all have atzlocha. You have an amazing school and an amazing staff and a lot of loving teachers and principals. And in Mitzvah Hashem, you're going to see a lot of nachas. Mitzvah Hashem. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.